Hey, what's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning into the Car Tech Garage once again. Yeah, welcome. Ready for another week in history. Absolutely. Hope everybody's been well. Let's go ahead and kick it off here. We are in the month of May, May 23rd, 1928. Started pretty far back, 93 years ago. So on this day, uh, Fritz von Opel basically drove uh, the Apollo rocket on wheels. Um, <laughs> it, it was called the Opel RAK-2, equipped with only 24 rockets, not not too many, um, up to 143 miles an hour uh, at a track near Berlin called the Avis Track. Um, he did it in front of like 2,000 people, so pretty brave, especially the considering the um, RAK-1 had just 12 rockets. A lot of them failed. He decided <laughs> to go ahead and double it and try it up the speed. Uh, he actually ignited them with a foot pedal. It just had 12 rockets. I'm still laughing <laughs> about that. Oh, now this one had 24. Yeah, this one had 24. The one before just had 12. Yeah. It, it's cool. See, anyway, <laughs> gives a whole new meaning to gas pedal, that's for sure. Yes, it does. Um, so it was estimated at 6,000 kilograms of total thrust. So basically enough to, like, blow up an entire residential block. Um, and, you know, the only thing sitting in between the driver and the 24, you know, powder rockets on the back was just a, a single steel armor plate. Um, then it, the second generation had stabilizing wings on both front sides for downforce, obviously, to keep the car on the ground. So essentially strapped to a bunch of rockets with some safety. No safety. <laughs> like this this was the days of goggles and leather helmets. So safety so, wasn't even a word yet. It yeah, wasn't yeah it wasn't even Webster's in the dictionary. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and move forward. Uh, May 24th, 1987, 34 years ago, Mr. Al Unser Sr., actually took home his fourth Indianapolis 500 victory um, at 47 years and 360 days old. He was the oldest winner in the event's history. Um, and what's funny is he wasn't even slotted to drive in the race, but he actually ended up replacing an injured racer. Um, and what's even more interesting is he was actually driving last year's model, the March 86C, which to be fair, had won the race last year, but the new 87Cs were on track with it. And it was powered by a turbocharged Cosworth DFX. It was a, a 2.65 liter turbo V8 capable of over 800 horsepower. Um, and the engine actually had this engine configuration won the race 10 years running in various cars. It was as dominating in Indy racing as its cousin, the DFV engine was in F1 racing. That's pretty impressive that they Cosworth built an engine and then also had another platform very similar that did so well for so long too. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I can say that, I mean, Cosworth is my favorite all-time engine builder. And even though they worked with pretty simple formulas, they made it work so consistently well. Yeah. And obviously their their storied motorsport career is proof to that. Sometimes simplicity is, is the best way. Yeah, it is. But this one was, was a pretty spectacular ending to Unser's career. I mean, he was one of only three men to ever win the Indy 500 four separate times. Um, he won on IndyCar circuits 39 times, 27 poles. He had like 6 or $7 million before he retired. Um, in another sad side note to this race, um, this was actually the first time a spectator had been killed since 1938. It's a long run for yeah. nothing bad to happen. He got hit in the face with a tire. Oh. Yeah, that's no good. Um, yeah. And then the same day, up in 92, his son actually became the very first second-generation winner of the, uh, the Indy 500. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Unser family, anybody that knows anything, you know, about Indy, Indy racing or, you know, pretty much any American racing series, the Unser's are dominant, the whole family. They all, they all drive and they're all fast. They're just born with octane in their blood. Absolutely. All right, May 26, 1923, 
98 years ago. The first 24 hours of Le Mans race began. Yeah. Yeah. Le Mans. 98 years ago, too? Yep. Yeah, 1923. I didn't it's know cars, that long. cars could drive more than <laughs> 100 miles without breaking down. Yeah. Yeah. This time, luckily. I mean, uh, you know, the, the track, though, um, has changed a lot. Over the years, several purpose-built sections kind of replaced some normal roads because initially it was just on country roads. You know, that's how most races really started and how a lot of racetracks actually became, you know, uh, into play today, just like the Nurburgring, you know, it's, it was a toll road. Yeah, but <laughs> I mean, it's all, really all these <laughs> have been modified <laughs> to accept, you know, full fledged race cars. And obviously it's all designed for safety. You know, they took out like a section that basically weaved in and out of people's houses. Probably a good idea when you're yeah, doing you know, 200 miles an hour. There's nothing better than eating breakfast in a car goes shooting through your house. <laughs> I'd buy it. I would definitely live there, you know, just, <laughs> just for it, the sure thrill of it. Yeah. A little white picket fence. Yep. Well, oh, they're racing yeah. this weekend, so make sure to wear your hard hat around the house. <laughs> no, just wear your earplugs. <laughs> uh, so the very first Le Mans was actually won by uh, two guys, you know, co-drivers named Andre Lagash and Rene Leonard. They covered 1,000. 372 miles in a three liter race car made by a French company called Chenard and Walker. Um, that was really the only cool thing that company ever did. They ended up making commercial trucks for Peugeot afterwards, but, um, they made one really cool three liter race car that won the very first Le Mans. And, um, it was a pretty boring race anyways, but <laughs> now it's not, you know, I mean, uh, and this was actually a, a neat one because this one was held in May. All races since then have been held in June uh, well, with, the, with the exception of two in 1956 and 1968. Um, but the race, you know, has been held every year since with the exception of 1936 and then obviously 1940 to 48 when the Second World War, you know, just happened to intervene. <laughs> um, but in the original configuration, the racetrack was uh, 10.7 miles long. And obviously it's changed gradually over the years, but some of the major landmarks have not. The three-mile Mosan Strait is still there. You know, the straightaway, just dead straight, ends in this, like, little gradual right-hand bend. It, it's something you wouldn't even really perceive if you were driving at normal speeds, but over 200 miles an hour, it feels like you're warping space-time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything changes at that speed. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the race, uh, you know, obviously kind of carries with it some infamy because of the horrific crash that occurred there in 1955 when a Mercedes 300 SL flipped into the grandstands and killed 81 people, I think it was. I mean, it was it was the worst motorsport accident ever. Um, it actually caused Mercedes to withdraw from factory racing entirely, all the way up until 1994, uh, when they decided to start building um, F1 engines for the Sauber team. Yeah, so, obviously, when yeah. something that catastrophic goes, what's the saying? You know, sell on Sunday, win on Monday, kind of deal. I think uh, that was a win on Sunday, sell on Monday. Yeah, win on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, yeah, you know, I get it's those mixed up all no, the time. It's all good. <laughs> That's why I haven't bought a car yet. I just get confused. Uh, <laughs> but no, that that obviously I could see why they would want to pull because that would make that saying no longer plausible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, I mean, they they were just you know they felt terrible. Obviously, you know, your car flips into the grandstands and kills that many people. They, they withdrew from racing yet for many many years, and of course now as soon as they kind of pop back into the sport. You know, over the past couple of decades, they, they've become so very dominant in F1 racing, as as many people know, especially yeah. during the last 10 years. I don't know. It still blows my mind today, you know, to this day of like I've been to a couple of NASCAR races when I was a kid. And just the sheer fact that you can sit, you know, feet away from this car that's traveling hundreds of miles an hour yeah. around the track with, you know, 10 to 30 other vehicles doing the same thing is 
a little still scary to me to this day. Now, if I'm in the car, different story, but <laughs> you know, it just blows my mind that people want to be that close to the action on, on something like this. I just like going fast. Yep. All right. May 26, 1968, 53 years ago, uh, Graham Hill driving a Lotus, um, who actually started from pole position, of course, as well, won the Monaco Grand Prix. Um, he actually got nicknamed Mr. Monaco because, you know, he, he had won it so many times. Um, until Ayrton Senna, of course, came around and beat him. But uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know I talk Who's about that? him a lot. Oh, yeah. So um, actually a guy uh, named Richard Atwood um, ended up coming in second, and he recorded the fast lap while he was driving for BRM. Um, and then the third guy uh, named Lucien Bianchi uh, was driving a Cooper. What was funny is these were the only times those drivers ever even got podium finishes, and it happened to be right behind Graham Hill, but it was a crazy race. Um, so Johnny Servos Gavin took the lead from Hill right at the start. And then Bruce McLaren took out the other Lotus that Jackie Oliver was driving at the chicane on the very first lap. And then another car getting, get, uh, ended up getting struck. And then the Servos Gavin guy who was up front ended up, uh, on lap three, his drive shaft failed and then he crashed. That's kind of set the tone for the rest of the race. You know, all those accidents and mechanical failures, only five cars ended up finishing. Um, and then everyone from third place on, finished four laps down from Graham Hill. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> That's it was impressive. actually a pretty crazy race. Definitely more interesting than the last Monaco race that we had seen. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, kind of uneventful. Anyway, moving on. March 27th, 1951. 70 years ago, Mr. Sterling Moss made his Formula One debut at the Swiss Grand Prix. He drove well, but not well enough. Of course, I don't know what he could have done. He was up against perhaps the most talented racer of all time, Juan Manuel Fangio, in his Alfa Romeo. He was on pole, set the fastest lap of the race, took home the win. I mean, he was unstoppable in that Alfa. Um, you know, well, pretty much any car he drove, even the old Chevrolet that he was driving back in Buenos Aires. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. All right, moving ahead again. I've been waiting on this one. May 28th, 1983, 38 years ago. You'll like this one, Max. All right, so uh, Stefan Beloff driving a Porsche 956 set the record for the fastest lap on the 12.9-mile Nürburgring track. Six minutes and 11 seconds. That's impressive, especially in, in the 80s. Back in 1983. So just for reference, so in 75, um, current F1 champ Nicky Lauda took his Ferrari 312T, which is one of the most winning uh, F1 cars in existence, um, and he actually lapped it in six minutes and 58 seconds. Um, so, I mean, Porsche's record stood for decades. And they actually came back and bettered it with a 519 yep. <laughs> from their new 919 Hybrid Evo, which is like a completely unrestricted version of their Le Mans winning endurance car. I mean, um, even if you just look at the, you know, the sheer time. So what you said about six minutes and 11 seconds. Yeah. And he's only cut off about a minute in... In that much time, I mean, with almost forty all years, of the advancements. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the forty years prior to that, obviously, the jump probably would have been even even more more. But um, the nine five six was a fantastic race car. Yeah, I it, mean, Porsche learned so much from the nine seventeen race car and all the various races that they did in both like the the uh, Canadian American Cup Challenge, all the sports car races they did, Le Mans, and all that transferred into the nine fifty six. It was you know just the ultimate beast. Yeah. It definitely was, I mean, yeah. especially when you're you're doing numbers of, of top cars nowadays. You know, it's, that's pretty impressive. Exactly. And it, it wasn't even, you know, that was actually kind of detuned comparatively to the 917s because the, the, the later iterations of the 917s were actually more powerful. 
Um, but this one just had aerodynamic supremacy and all of the technology that was available at the time. Um, and it, it just made use of it so very well. Yeah, like that's like, a, what is it, even a brand new, you know, 911 GT2 RS does it in about six minutes, 47 seconds. Yeah, so think you can buy something <laughs> off a showroom floor with a warranty and insure it, you know, and you can lap the Nürburgring, well, you know, depending on your level of skill and, and yeah. your level of courage, um, you know, as fast as some of the world's greatest race cars of past. Yeah, I think the, the fastest time for a road legal is about six minutes and 40 seconds or something like that. I think it's an AMG Mercedes. I, I would remember, I remember when the Z06, the C6 Z06 took it, and then the Viper ACR took that, and it was, you know, there was like two years there where it was just battling out. I actually saw that C6 Z06. Did you really? Yeah, yeah. Um, they had it for sale recently, uh, so that would have, you could have owned a piece of history there. And said, I've been in the Nürburgring too. So it was, that's definitely, you know, looking at the pictures and watching, you know, cars race on it. There's a much different perspective when you're physically at that track. It's just so massive. It's, oh, yeah. it's crazy. It really is. I mean, it, it, it goes through Germany's black forest, mm -hmm. like forever, basically. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like you're in the middle of nowhere and you just pop up and there's this, you know, huge racetrack venue. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll definitely go someday, but I've not been yet. So we'll go and move forward again. May 29th, 1972. Speaking of Porsche, the first full run of the Porsche 91710 Can-Am racer, um, which was going to be the 1972 season Can-Am race car. It was like the first big push for Porsche to really try in Can-Am. Uh, previously, they had entered their, you know, Le Mans winning 917s, and they'd made, of course, different iterations of them. But the Can-Am series, McLaren had dominated so very well with their vehicles that Porsche really had to kind of up the ante and they held a secret test session on this day at Mosport park in Canada. And Mark Donahue lapped that circuit three seconds faster in this car than the existing formula one record. There. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> and the following year, 1973 Porsche pretty much ended the series with the 91730. It was one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful, you know, legal circuit race car of all time, you know, given that period's rule book Estimates as high as 1,580 horsepower in qualifying and about 11 to 1,200 in race trim. Twin turbo, 5 liter flat, flat 12. So you're telling me in the 70s, they had a almost 1,600 horsepower estimated race car? I mean, even in today's standards, that's impressive, you know, feat to keep, you know, even with all the electronics, traction control, stability control, all of that. That's hard to keep on the road still. And you're telling me, you know, years and years ago that they were able to race something like that. Yeah. That's that's good. <laughs> that is that's impressive. Is good. <laughs> Talk about a scary ride. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Anyway, Porsche has made some pretty badass cars over the years. <laughs> yeah, they definitely have. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that about wraps up this week in automotive history. Thanks so much, everyone, for tuning into the Car Tech Garage. And we cannot wait to see you next time. See you.